0: So the only way to get this particular message is actually via podcast, because our camera uh, decided to have a malfunction this morning. So for those of you that like to watch things on video, I'm sorry, but that'll teach you. You know, all those people out there, they could be here right now uh, seeing it live, and it's a lot better live than on video anyways. But uh, this is a, a, a fun message, I think, for those of us that are on the team that are remodeling the campus right now. On Wednesday, I came in and had a little short devotional, and uh, one of the girls, Laura, who's been, uh, her last name is Cook, and guess what she's been doing for us? She's been cooking for us. I, that's just a, a perfect fit. Uh, I don't know how you loody, you know, so I'm not sure, you know, what my perfect job would be to looty. It's like, yeah, and Eric's with us, and he's been looting for us. I don't know what that would look like, but I'm sure it would be a very profound action if we could uh, nail that down. But uh, Laura came up with a title for my devotional, and I decided to use that today. So I can't take credit for it, even though I really want to. Uh, but it's uh, Hopeland Security. Uh, so for those of you that don't get uh, the funny play on words, that's okay. It's, 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 it, but last week we talked about hope and the significance of soul focus that if you imagine your soul being like a camera there, it's very critical that you learn how to focus your soul on that, which matters most because in life there's a lot of noise. There's a lot going on that wants to draw your attentions somewhere else other than Jesus and what Jesus has accomplished for you. So one of the great exercises of the Christian is to constantly fix the soul on that, which matters. On Jesus. Now that sounds like an oversimplification because you're like, okay, I'm just gonna stare at this man, but he's more than a man, he's God. And it's more than just staring at you know, his attributes, it's recognizing that he goes to work for us. It's the nature of who this God is. He's the same God who came to that cross. He's the same God who showed victory over the grave. He's the same God who sits enthroned on high with all things beneath his feet, whoever lives to make intercession for us. We have an advocate with the Father That is good news. So therefore, whatever situation we face in life, no matter how dark it may seem, no matter how drastic the circumstances may be, you fix your gaze on Jesus and what Jesus has done for us, and you have hope in every circumstance. The reason that matters and the reason I've been rehearsing sort of this theme, and I'm going into it somewhat again today, is because our world is not supplying us a lot of hope. When you study the landscape of our current culture, and if you're a Christian, despair would be the natural course. Depression could be a natural course. Fear, anxiety could be another course. There's a lot of trails that lead from studying the current situation unfolding around us. There's not a lot of good news that the world is giving us. Back when I was growing up, it was usually sort of split where you'd have some bad news, but then you'd have some good news. This person got elected. Oh, we just passed this law. Hey, and you have like these days of rejoicing, and then you have these days of crying in your milk or over your milk. Uh, your spilled milk is technically how it's supposed to be, but I, what did I say, crying over your milk? Uh, it's, it was sour. That's why. Uh, so, But we would. it was sort of a split situation. Now it's about 99-1. 99 parts bad news, one part good news, and we have to sort of wonder if the one part good news was really good news because it seemed like the next day it got overturned, right? And so as a result, we have not been able to feed off of good news that this world can dish out. We didn't realize that we had somewhat of an addiction upon good news that might come through the news sources. But what if we lived in a world that had zero, and it was 100 parts bad to zero good? How would we live as Christians? Do do we go into despair? Proverbs 31 talks about this, this godly woman, this woman of virtue. And it says something so astounding about her as far as equality. It says that she smiles at the days to come. Another translation could be she laughs at the days to come. Laughs. It's sort of like, ha! She has hope. You see, for all of us, the bride of Christ it is critical that we cultivate this dimension of our soul to look and see what is true. Not what the enemy is dishing out through news sources. What is true. And what is true is Jesus is king. He is king of kings. He is lord of lords. He has won the victory. All things are beneath his feet. I know that's not coming out through the news sources. And ironically, it's not coming out all that often through the church either. So as a result, we're not being reminded of that which is true. Instead, we're focused on that which is off and what the enemy is up to. It's like the enemy's news source is our meditation, and that ought not to be. Which is what leads to Hopeland security. Okay? So if you've ever been to the Denver airport, uh, then you understand TSA. Now, you could have been to any airport and understand TSA. But uh, this is that security system that uh, kicked into gear. I don't know if it existed before 9-11, I just remember it after 9-11. I remember the days before 9-11 were so pleasant, and I never cherished them enough. Like I didn't like travel even before 9-11, but then travel after 9-11 just went into the tank. I mean, it was just bad. I remember Leslie you know, arriving on an airplane, or maybe it was me arriving on an airplane, and she was at the gate to greet me. I mean, you can't even imagine that that could happen. There's certain kids in here that have never even thought of such a notion, and yet that was normal for us, right? You could just walk right up to the gate, and now that is you know, very dangerous, and we don't, we can't allow that. And the TSA, they're the ones that are you know, running you through that security checkpoint, remove your shoes, take all your electronics out, uh, uh, your belt needs to come off, and your pants get all saggy all of a sudden. I mean, everything about TSA is just plain awkward. We just put up with it because that's just the way it is, right, but these are the guys that are making sure that if something's gonna fly out of Denver, it's going to be of a certain nature, and you're not gonna have any explosives, you're not gonna have any weapons, lest we endanger this flying experience. So here's my subtitle under TSA. If you wanna travel here in Denver, you will first need to pass through us. Yeah, they have a little attitude there, don't they? So hope, making Jesus and what Jesus did the focal point of the Christian life. Now imagine that you had your own security system, which we're supposed to, okay? The entire Christian life is supposed to have, I wouldn't want to call them a TSA, okay? Because the last thing I want is to lug around my own TSA, right? But I would like to have a security system that actually doesn't allow just anything to fly in the mind of Eric Ludi. And so as a result, there is supposed to be this dimension because what the enemy is trying to rob is hope. Another way of saying that is perspective. In other words, if you maintain clear perspective, you have hope. If you maintain clear perspective, you have faith. If you maintain clear perspective, you can be a flow-through of his love and his life. It's when your perspective gets deranged that you start to be played by the enemy. This instrument known as the life of the human being suddenly becomes operational for the enemy's purposes instead of God's, but it all hinges on how you see things. Paul in the book of Philippians calls it a phreneo. That can be translated as an attitude, as a mind. Maybe you've heard of the mind of Christ or the attitude of Christ. I liken it to glasses. That's why I'm making this movement here. It's glasses. It's the lens through which you see life. And the enemy wants to knock off the God glasses and stick on, you know, those cheapo version uh, sunglasses that he comes up with, you know, that cause everything to be skewed in favor of his agenda, to make him look larger than he is. So, Hopeland security. If you want that thought to fly here, you will first need to pass through us. That's your, your security system. They're sort of tough guys, too. You know, and they're like, hey, if you want to fly, you know, get that thought to fly in the life of Eric Ludi, you're gonna have to pass through Hopeland Security. See, don't you like Hopeland Security? See, TSA stinks, but Hopeland Security. This is high integrity, you know, high honor. You know, it's it's the best characters. So we only hire, sort of like Chick-fil-A, we only hire the best, okay? Second Corinthians 10, 4 through 6. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Just imagine this being a security system, okay? This is their motto. They, they pin it. They have a big poster in their, back, in their coffee room, and this is what they're constantly thinking through. Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. All these things that want to pass through and fly. No, no, no. You can't just fly in the life of Eric Ludi or the life of a believer, you have to pass through a sniff test. If you're trying to exalt yourself above the knowledge of Jesus Christ, uh-uh, we'll throw you down. They, they learn judo, uh, and so you come through. And, I mean, Hopeland security is tough. I mean, they you don't want to mess with them, okay? Especially the guys that, you know, I'm training up, you know? You don't want to try and... Mess with these guys. I don't know what yours look like. Mine have sort of a beard, and uh, they're tough. They, uh, one of my guys has a tattoo, but it says Jesus. Okay, so I just want you to know that. <clears throat> the weapon. I'm going to start from the beginning because I got you know too distracted uh, there. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought. Into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So, this is hopeland security. You want to maintain the focus of your soul, you have to be watchful over every influence that is coming in. We have all grown up in a very soggy, soft version of Christianity. And whenever someone starts talking about discipline to, the, to any aspect of the Christian life, we start crying legalism. We're like, legalism! When in actuality, legalism is when you try and do something in your own self-effort. You try and produce your own righteousness to appease God. When in actuality, the Spirit of God wants to work in you to do things. But you have to cultivate that through discipline and agreement and obedience. And so that isn't legalism, that's Christianity. That is walking out the work of God in you. So I gave this scripture last week to talk about what sorts of things you want to fly in your thought life. So if you have Hopeland security, there are certain things that you are built to help fly in your thought life. And there are other things that you need to prohibit. Whatever things are true says Paul. Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now this is uh, what I gave during the devotional this last week. There's nothing special about this letter. It just happens to be a letter that came in to my email inbox the morning of my devotional. And so I whipped it out and read it to everyone. I've scrubbed it a little, because I'm not trying to indict uh, the, the organization that wrote it, because there's a lot of potential positive that could come out of it, but there's also some things in it that we need in our Hopeland security to, to pat down and to say, uh, excuse me, but there's an explosive on you here. But most of us are so used to just allowing this stuff in that we may not notice it, which is why I'm calling this the practice letter. Let's start getting in shape. I want you to call out your Hopeland security. Your guys may have been sitting in their coffee break for the last 10 years, right? And they're like, oh, we need to work, burp, scratch. And so I don't know how your Hopeland security is working, but we need to whip them in shape. And we need to get them to recognize that your life and your health as a Christian hinges upon them doing their job well. And so you, being their manager, need to get your game on and say, guys, let's go. Come on. And, you know, you, got, you might need to have some kind of exercise equipment put into the coffee room, so and maybe even take out the coffee machine. Maybe we don't even call it a coffee uh, room anymore. Maybe it's called a gym, because we need to get the discernment in shape, So, let's look at this practice letter. Dear friend, I'm making an urgent appeal to you today to contact your U.S. Senators as soon as possible to ask them to vote no on H.R. 8404, the misnamed Respect for Marriage Act, which is reportedly coming up for a vote either today or tomorrow. At (laughs) We are concerned that the bill accomplishes the exact opposite of what its name implies. It changes the definition and meaning of marriage and would be nearly impossible to reverse. The bill already passed the House earlier this summer with all Democrats and some Republicans voting in favor. In the Senate, a vote was postponed until after the midterm elections, and we've just received word that Senator Charles Schumer, Democrat, New York, has put the bill on a fast track for a vote either today or tomorrow. The bill requires 60 votes to advance in the Senate. H.R. 8404 is a bad bill that not only threatens marriage as we have known it for thousands of years, but it poses a grave danger to religious freedom. It could affect each one of us for generations to come. H.R. 8404 requires states to recognize same-sex marriages from other states and seeks to codify it into federal law. It goes far beyond what the U.S. Supreme Court did in 2015 when it decided Obergefell versus Hodges, which invented the right to same-sex marriage. If this bill is passed, it could open the door for the federal government to force everyone, including religious organizations, to affirm same-sex marriage, polygamy, and more. This act is an assault on religious freedom and free speech. This law would lead to costly lawsuits and harassments of millions of Christians, pro-family Americans, and organizations who affirm that marriage is a union of one man and one woman. Don't listen to those who tell you that the bill has been amended to take care of concerns about polygamy and religious freedom. Our legal friends at Alliance Defending Freedom have explained that the so-called amendment being offered does little to allay our concerns. So here's what we need to do. Please contact your senators and respectfully ask them to vote no on H.R. 8404 and respect for the Respect for Marriage Act. You can either call their Senate offices directly through the Capitol switchboard at (laughs) or you can use the Senate website directory found here. If you desire more information on H.R. 8404, my colleagues have written about this bill here, 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 and here. Those were links. Thank you for taking action today. Now, the reason I'm giving that and the reason I think this is suited for an example letter or piece of information coming into our inbox, is it's first of all being sent by a very trustworthy source that we know is strong, conservative Christian. All right? All the more reason to open it up and trust everything that's said. And what they are talking about, we care about. This is you know, about marriage, and that's a very important thing. However, what I want you to take note of is that when we oftentimes, as believers... We read something like that, it creates a certain mm, disruption in our soul, and we feel insecure, and we feel anxious, and we feel like the world is falling apart. And I mean, there was a statement in there that said, this could affect all of you for generations to come, and it could cost millions of law- in lawsuit dollars, and I mean, you cannot function anymore as a Christian. You can just imagine how you could interpret that. Okay, this is the generation we live in, right here. This letter depicts it as far as I'm concerned. Woe is you, is what it says. The worst is about to happen, are you prepared for it? Now, here's what's funny. I said this last week. I am not trying to say the opposite, that the world is headed in a good direction, And that the church is thriving right now. I'm not sticking my head in the sand. And that's one of the bad errors that we can do. Because there's two extremes. You can stick your head in the sand and ignore all that's going on. Just make some noise and put your fingers in your ear. The other side is you can make a study of what the enemy is doing. So tell me what's going on in your life. Have you heard what the enemy is doing? And that's all you seem to think about is what the enemy is up to. However, your job is to get a PhD in what God is doing in this earth. If you want to thrive in this earth, you better be in stride with the living God. That does not mean that this letter does not have potential value. The problem is it does not speak to you any truth. It does not remind you who is seated on high. It does not remind you that he is in total control. It does not remind you that he started marriage and he is going to finish marriage. He he is the one that architected all of this in the first place. This is his idea. It is not defined by this culture. In other words, all of these thoughts are not presented. We are not getting truth. We are getting something to get us spiked, to go do something, to act. To call up our senator, which I'm not going to say is a bad action. I'm saying the use of communication and the tool that is being used here is not helpful to our soul to cultivate a focus on Christ. And that's what I would like to go into. Patting down all wannabe flyers. It doesn't really matter the source. Paul himself says, even if I come to you and give a gospel other than the one that is true, do not receive it. In other words, there is a filter and we pat down everything in our life to secure, to make sure that that which is true passes through. I have every capacity to spike despair in you, to spike discouragement in you, to spike fear and anxiety in you just because I'm housing it myself. And if I give way to anxiety, the words I speak could sponsor anxiety in you, which is why even though I may not do that typically. It does not mean you shouldn't be ready to pat down what I say, too. We go, hmm, that sounded a little anxious. Uh, it sounded a little fear-based. That sounded a little self-centered. It's possible. In other words, Eric is prone, the same way all of us are, to hosting a voice that we all need to be watchful of. There are certain things that can pass through Hope Land Security. And there are certain things that should never pass through. And we need to get our Hopeland Security in gear. So patting down all wannabe flyers, nothing gets through that doesn't please the HLS. That's, that's my name for them. Hopeland Security. Yeah, that's HLS. See? Yeah, this is a cool name, too. They have... Uh, what, what do they have? I forgot what my name was uh, for the real guys out there. TSA. <laughs> See, I'm already trying to block them out of my mind. We have HLS, okay? It sounds like some homeschool uh, group, I'm not sure. Recognizing weapons and explosive, get the sniffer dog out. So when I teach thought life to men, I, I have a certain process that I go through to teach them how, to, how, the, how the mind works and how to have a door that is firmly closed and that when thoughts start knocking, you bring your sniffer dog out, which is... Typically understood as discernment, okay? I'm not going to go into that, but that's what you need. Your, your hope Hopeland security is your sniffer system. It is how you discern that which should come in and that which shouldn't. So there's two ways of sniffing. One is with the mind of man, and the other is with the mind of Christ, So one with, I don't know how that three got up there. Sorry, guys, there's only two. And I did have that fixed, and then somehow it ended up as three. Sorry, there's only two options, in case you're wondering. Uh, Aren't you glad? This isn't on video, so no one else can see that, even though I'm telling them uh, right now. So first, with the mind of man, this is how most of us function. We actually lean on our own intellect, our own intuition, and our own feelings for what we allow in. It's like, you know what, I feel like you're fine. You know what? I don't think it's that bad. That is mistake number one in the Christian life. You need to make your decisions based on God's word, not based on your sense of right and wrong. Because we are off. There is something about our natural man that is skewed. And so when we come to Christ, he begins to renew our mind. He begins to recalibrate the way he built us so that we can discern truth. So that we can actually recognize, eh, 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 no, that cannot come in. There are things that we traffic into our life or have trafficked through our Hopeland security system that shouldn't have ever gotten through. And many of you, even as we go through this, will recognize, like, oh boy, I've been allowing that guy through. And that's part of the reason a message like this can have benefit is it sensitizes us in this area that most of the church today doesn't talk a lot about. And that's the mechanics of the thought life. Many of us will actually say, you know, take every thought captive to the will of Christ Jesus. Amen. However, none of us know how to do that. So what's the good of saying this grand idea if we don't practically train and disciple the body in how to see, note, and then deflect, reject, or allow in? So with the, the mind of man, it operates off of human fuel, Feelings, longings, native instincts. And then number two is with the mind of Christ. It operates off of grace, the Spirit of God. When you become the house of the living God, He actually sensitizes you. Have you ever had it where you can actually have a a sense of something being off, but you don't have any reason for it? It's like, I just don't feel right about that. And when you're walking close with God, that's how it works. And you begin to sensitize. Now, what he wants to do is match that with his word. He doesn't want you just always going off of even a sense. He wants you going off of a sense, but then seeking his word to confirm, to make sure that your sense is being honed and configured properly. Because God does want to give you pause. He does want to give you a sensitivity, like something's happening in your life. You're like, "Eh, eh, eh." like, why does that bother me? When I used to teach on what was at that time called the emergent church movement, and we're going back quite a few years now uh, to get to that, but there were certain voices that were just trucking their, their junk through Christianity. And I was like, uh, hey guys, this doesn't match with Scripture. And I had so many people say to me, I always felt like something was wrong, but I didn't know what it was. And I always thought that was interesting, that a lot of the church felt that something was wrong, but no one was saying anything. And as a result, they weren't training up their their Hopeland security system. They were just sort of going, well, I don't want to be the one that says something's wrong. I mean, if everyone else is saying it's fine, maybe it's fine. That's the danger right there. In other words, all of us need to be seeking the word on these points. But when you have that instinct, take it seriously. In the body of Christ, one of the giftings that he gives us is something known as discernment. And not every one of us has it in great measure, but there are some in the body that really have it, okay? And I tend to surround myself with people that have that gift. And just say, Eric, you don't have it? I'm not saying I can't discern, but there's also a gift of discernment. It's like an extra measure of sensitivity, and I just happen to be married to someone with an extra measure of sensitivity, but that has come into great value and help in my life when I learn to listen to it. The holding room. So let's imagine that something, you know, is waiting in line in our Hopeland security system. You know, it's looking at its watch and it's waiting for its time uh, to come through the, the check system. And then when it gets there... We start evaluating, it's like some things are going up. Eeh, eeh, eeh. You know, there's all sorts of noises. You know, it's like, hey, what's that? Uh, sir, uh, you need to remove your belt. He's like, I don't want to remove my belt. Whoa, what was that? You see, we're Hopeland Security, and when we say you need to do something, you do it. Because now I'm curious about your belts. It's like this huge belt buckle, like, uh-huh. Okay, take that off, sir. And then it goes through. It's like, it has an explosive in it. You see, there's reasons why we need to be cautious and watchful because the things that are trying to get into our life are trying to get in so they could blow up our life. The enemy is always on the prowl, always on the move, seeking to devour. He has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. That is his nature. That is his makeup. And he has not given up the family business. This is what he does, day in and day out. And as a result, we must be on guard and watchful. So what I did is I'm picturing sort of international travel when you come through customs. And you know, like if you're sort of one of those sketchy characters uh, or you're, you're not quite matching what they're looking for, they have you go into a holding room and you, it, they make you sweat for a while. I think even if the guy is right outside the door, you know, that's going to talk to you, he still like looks at his says, we'll make him wait 22 minutes. Uh, because they want you to sweat and I think they have a hidden camera on you to see if you are sweating. It's like they're watching to see if you're sort of one of those mischievous characters but I have some holding rooms too. In other words things are coming through and I want to divide up the different sorts of things that could come in to my life. The first one is the key one I'm emphasizing today which is what I'm going to call the resist room. There are certain things that are going to come through and it's going to go, "Eh, eh." sort of like water trying to come through security checkpoints. Like, excuse me, sir, uh, but this is a water bottle full of water. It's like, yeah, it's my water bottle. Yes, but water does not come through here. And then we're all like, now why is that? I can't quite remember why water can't come through. And so you have to dump it out. That's exactly, this is a resist. That will not come through here. So a resist room, it's a matter for immediate arrest. So those are a high-level issue, okay? When you have the eh, eh, eh going off on the resist issues, you need to be very, very watchful. You need to be very proactive to act with immediacy. I'm going to call this a prayer room, or it's a matter for prayer. Let's take this letter that we just went through. Okay, this letter that we went through isn't evil. It is, doesn't necessarily have to be harmful, however it could be, because there is some radioactive dimension attached to it that I notice. <laughs> As I sniff it, it's like, oh, we got some anxiety and fear uh, attached here. I think they're trying to spike some anxiety. Uh, eh, eh, eh. No, I don't receive that. I am not allowing that voice into my life. And you could say, that was a that was a good wholesome voice. How could you say you're not allowing that voice? I'm not saying the person writing it is unwholesome in and of themselves. I'm saying they're toting around something and it's trying, it's like a backpack on the back of their voice and that needs to be removed. I will not accept that into my life. I do not reason from fear, from anxiety, from fretting or foreboding. That is not how a Christian thinks, reasons or behaves. Now, some of you are so used to having that in your life that what I just said sounds preposterous. It's like, what do you mean you don't allow that in? That's just life, Eric. No, that might be your life, but that's not the Christian life. The Christian life does not touch this stuff. It is radioactive. It is like poison in soup. You do not stick poison drops in your soup and go, oh, it's just normal to me. I'm trying to build up my immune system. In other words, you do not do this. This is not healthy. You keep it out. So that's the resist room, but there's also a dimension of this letter that I would say should immediately be allocated into the prayer room. I think the writer of this letter has a good point, and that is that as the body of Christ, we should be sensitized to the fact that there is an important matter under siege in our country. I don't need to be fearful about it. I don't need to be anxious. I can be trusting and say, God, thank you for alerting my soul on this. I'm going to put that in the prayer room. Now, the prayer room isn't an anxiety room. It is not a fear room. It is not a foreboding room. I am not praying because I'm fearful. I'm praying because I'm faithful. I have faith that my God is in control. Thank you, Lord, for notifying me of this. Boom. However, I have to extricate the anxiety from it. There's also something else that I could call discouragement. I could also call it despair, depending on how much discouragement. Probably depends on if you're in the despair region. And when you start to get so much bad news, it also sponsors something that hangs on to different voices that can be discouraging. If you've been working forever in government to stop certain things, and it never seems to stop, what, what is the natural byproduct of that? Discouragement. And ultimately, if you get discouraged, 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 what do you start to feel? Despair. All of which has nothing to do with the kingdom of heaven. By the way, there is not a bit of anxiety that's supposed to come through that door. There's also not supposed to be discouragement. You see, the kingdom of heaven is based on truth. And if you trust your God, you know that he's in control. Discouragement really doesn't fit into that. I understand where it comes from because I've felt it many times in my life. If you have a plan and it doesn't seem to work out, there can be discouragement. However, if you have a plan and it doesn't work out, what should you do? Get discouraged or should you rejoice and say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do this, but I trust you right now, and I trust that you're going to turn this situation into good, because that's who you are. You see, it's focusing the gaze of the soul on that which is true and right instead of allowing the enemy to define the terms. When I read this letter, I see all sorts of bait, and that's what I'm saying. Extricate that. Stick that in the resist room. The prayer room, we've got some reason for prayer, and how about this one? This is a fun room. Now, it may not be in this particular letter, but this is a good room. The truth room. there, There could be something, like you could be talking with me and say, yeah, you know we prayed last week for such and such, and this happened. And God answered our prayer. See, that's a truth of God's faithfulness, of his care for his children, of his desire to answer prayer, of his immediacy to be a very present help in a time of trouble. And that's a special room, too, where we cherish the work of God. We ruminate on that, and we give thanks. We worship our God. That's a special action of the things that we're hearing. Now, out of this letter, this sample letter I gave you, I, you know, I, I'm not exactly sure what the truth was, because what I would say is one of the great voids in that particular letter was it didn't emphasize that which is true. It emphasized what the enemy was up to and you know what Chuck Schumer was doing, and not necessarily what God was doing. And so as a result, there wasn't a lot to you know, give thanks for, so we sort of have to do a Pollyanna on it and go, all right, well, God is in control. All things are under his feet. We have to bring that to the table. Does that make sense? Which isn't bad, and you can bring that up and invite it into the truth room and appreciate it. Process room, a matter for, a matter for further meditation and study. Sometimes you get a letter like this, and you hear about marriage, Now, I've spent a lot of time studying marriage, thinking about marriage, teaching on marriage, writing books on marriage, so it's not like I have not spent time on this topic. But how did I spend time on this topic? Uh, In the uh, process room, Uh, it's a matter for further meditation and study where I have to take it to the Word, and I want to know God's heart about this. Does God care that marriage is redefined? Where did marriage come from in the first place? I mean, is it the devil's idea and we're just trying, it's sort of like Christmas and then we like make it a holiday to celebrate Jesus? You know, is, is that how it works? Is that sort of what marriage is? Or was marriage God's idea in the beginning? That the enemy is warping. If it's God's idea, I want to go back to that. What does God say about that? That's not always in the immediate moment, but it could be a tactical plan out of something like this to separate that into a room and say, oh, okay, Lord, I want to understand your heart for marriage so that I am sharper and more able to stand in a day and an age where it is under siege. Uh, Conviction room. Have you ever had it where something comes through, uh, whether it's an email, a text, whether it's a voice spoken to you, whether it's a sermon, whether it's a podcast, there's a lot of options. And as it's speaking, as it's trying to get in through your Hopeland security, you recognize that... It's true, and you've been wrong, and as a result, you need to allow that in to the conviction room, and you need to process that through. What does that mean? If you really are convicted by this, what should you do about it? You might need to repent, guys. You might need to seek someone's forgiveness. You might need to correct your behavior very practically, and so as a result, even though there are some things you resist, there's other things that need to come in and be processed in a very specific way. Quick action room. I call this a matter for short-term action. So something like this, okay? Now, when you hear about the, uh, the, this marriage redefinition uh, process that's going on in government, that can disturb us. There's no doubt about it. However, there's truth there. This is wrong. There needs to be righteousness that stands behind that which is true, and it needs to do something. And I'm not going to say it would be wrong for you to actually call up your senator or to go online and make your... Opinion known on this. I wouldn't say that that's wrong. However, what I would, my main focus isn't the right or wrongness of your political action. It's the inner territory of your soul that I am most concerned about. Because if you are doing your actions out of anxiety and discouragement and out of a self attempt to save the world in which we live, instead of recognizing the greatest thing you can do for the world in which we live is to stand in faith with hope, believing. Faith is the most powerful tool. Rejoicing is right up there with it. And so if you are calling your senator but not doing those things, you're actually not saving the world the way the church is designed to do it. You see, so that's where I want to focus. It's not that I think your call to a senator to say vote no on such and such would actually be harmful, it could be helpful especially if it is the action that the Spirit of God moves you towards. However, he's not gonna move you towards that action out of fear. He's not going to move you towards that action out of discouragement and despair. He moves you out of faith and obedience. There's a difference there. And that's why I'm wanting you to frisk these things and pat them down. I don't want us being played by the enemy. And then I have another one up here. The final one is the long action room, which is a matter for applied strategy. Some of you, you know, we can sometimes mark our life and our calling from letters like that where you get a letter and you just ponder it and you're like, Lord, who's standing for this issue in our country right now? And you raise your hand and go, I don't know why I feel so burdened for this, Lord, but I would actually like you to use me to intervene in a bigger level than just calling my senator right now. Is there anything I can do? It is a hard thing to describe, but if you look at a lot of the different movements in missionaries' lives throughout the generations it oftentimes comes through an interaction with something that's happening in the culture and they're stirred by it. Whether it's you know George Mueller walking down the street and seeing an orphan child begging. Whether it's David Wilkerson uh, reading that Time article about those uh, gangs in New York City that were on trial. And his heart is strangely moved. It's like, what is he? He's just a, you know, a country preacher in Pennsylvania. What would he have to do with that but somehow... God arrests his attention and says, I want you to take note of something. And so I'm not going to say that there isn't a room for this in our life. As things are coming through, we can get out the junk and then say, but God, do you want to speak to me through this? And that some of us actually may, in a long sense, be called to intervene and to stand in a place of intercession for our generation on behalf of a theme that, God, that is on God's heart. In other words, when things are coming through our life, if we recognize that we need to, first of all, not just allow anything in, but then also what we are to allow in, to allow it in and allow the Spirit of God to deal with it. There's a lot of junk out there that wants to get into our life, but if we actually resist the the evil side of it, God can speak to us through the other side. There are people out there, I mean, I could run into one today, That everything they say to me is wrong, not biblical, incorrect. And everything they look like is wrong, upside down, weird, right? And yet, if I engage with that person, not to imbibe what they're saying, say, oh, that's now my truth. But if I allow the Spirit of God to bring through my Hopeland security the fact that this is a valuable life, that God loves them, that God cares for them, that God has a plan and a future for them, You see, that's what comes into my life, and my reaction to it is very different than bopping them in the face because, hey, they're speaking something that's not true. And so as a result, even though they have untruth that is coming towards me that I learn to resist, and I don't just take it in, I also can receive certain messages from God in and through that conversation, in and through that interaction, which could cause my behavior to actually shine forth Jesus Christ. So let's focus on the resist room. My sub-point under this is when it's a matter of immediate arrest, you cannot play games with that which must be resisted. This mm, nonsense that the enemy wants to bring into our inner life is very, very dangerous to our soul. And if I could, I wish I could amplify it up. You know that concept of the exceeding sinfulness of sin? It's, It's almost like something has been lost in our culture... And that in the Christian side of it, and I would say the exceeding sinfulness of sin—it would be a good way of describing it, where we take sin lightly. It's like, oh, well, you know, I'll try and resist that tomorrow, but today, you know, I'm just really tired. Instead of recognizing that your life hangs in the balance and allowing anything in, even small, is a big deal. I remember it was—I think we've gone back and forth at Ellerslie of who actually authored this statement. But it was the seven steps upward and the seven steps downward. Originally, I remember hearing it was Hudson Taylor. It still could be. But I think we heard it through John and Betty Stam missionaries, that I think were influenced by Hudson Taylor. But I'm not sure what the source is. But there were seven steps upward. The top step was heaven. Seven steps downward, which the bottom step was hell. And right in the middle is that point of decision of if you're going up or down in your life. And the first step downward, listen to this taking sin lightly. That was the first step downward. You want to decompose your life? You want to ruin your life? Take it lightly. Allow something through. Try it out. And what you discover is that there is a decomposition process that immediately sets into place. You see, ironically, the first step upward was the opposite, taking sin seriously, which what does that do? It initiates value in your Savior's work. It causes praise and worship and adoration and thanksgiving to usher forth towards the cross, towards the worker of the cross. When you take sin seriously, it values the cross. It amplifies its importance in your life. When you diminish the value of sin or the import of sin, then it diminishes, it robs from the cross first thing. This is a dividing point in our life, one direction or the other. So the resist room tools, there's various ones revealed in Scripture. The word resist is one. Pray, that is an action. I know that, that I had a whole room dedicated to that, but that's also part of what we do in regards to the spiritual powers, that we're supposed to engage in a different sort of prayer. Rebuke is one of the words. I know that's sort of an awkward one for us. Bind, okay, that's equally awkward. How about this next one? Loose, uh-huh, that's, that's awkward. Stand, oh, I think we feel comfortable with Stand. Uh, isn't it funny how there's words in all of these that like, give you the EBGBs and there's other ones that are like, oh yeah, we can hang out on that one. They're all good, by the way. It's just that they're distorted by with their use in our Christian world. But they're all biblical concepts. Remind and declare. So these are aspects or attributes or actions that we have in our toolcase that our Hopeland security must use. First of all, they must isolate out then they must deal with. This is the concept of arresting, of incarcerating, putting handcuffs on something, taking captive to the will of Christ Jesus. That's what we're doing. This doesn't belong in my life. No, nope, this stops right here. So HLS basic training. Okay, guys, we're going to whip you into shape. I know I want you to bring out all of your, uh, your HLS employees uh, in your soul. I know some, have been, some of them have been napping for way too long. Uh, some of them have been chugging a lot of coffee. Some of them have a little round tummy uh, that needs to be worked off. Let's get these guys in shape. So if we were in basic training, this is a sample of what it might be like. So we're going to first recognize the four malevolence. That's just my name for it. I thought it sounded pretty good, uh, the four malevolence. Doesn't that sound like something you wouldn't want in your life? You know, even one malevolent, let alone four of them, and that just sounds terrible. Good. It should sound terrible because these guys are terrible and you want to stop them at the security gate. You do not want them getting through. So here's our four malevolence: The voice of fear, the voice of despair, the voice of diminishment, the voice of pride. No, I'm not going to say that there aren't other voices. I'm just giving you four because we're doing basic training. You know, there's some advanced training too, but we're not going to get to that uh, this Sunday. This is just basic. So let's look at number one, the voice of fear. Now, when I read that letter, I would say, and I'm not sure how you respond to it because some of you actually could be in a healthy position where you constantly remember the position of Christ even when you're reading a letter like that. You remember that God is in control even when you read a letter like that, and you're unfazed. Well, praise God for that. However, we have a very weak church today that is very vulnerable to giving way to anxiety. Very few people that I know in the church today can say that they have a triumph and a victory over anxiety and fear in their life, or that they have a victory over pride in their life, or a victory over selfishness, or a victory over lust. In other words, these are things that just sort of are there, and they, you know, they got through again. Oh! Instead of saying, God built us to stop things at the gate. However, if we're trying to stop them when they're already on the plane, it's harder. It's like, hey, I know there's an intruder somewhere here that's carrying a gun. I know it because I saw it in the x ray and I, we just didn't stop it then, but I know it somewhere. A lot more difficult, as you could just imagine. What we want to do is stop this at its beginning point. The voice of fear. Fear's classic lines. Now, fear has a lot of these, but there's some samples. You will be destroyed. You will never get out. You will experience great, unbearable pain. So when you hear that letter, uh, there's different voices that can be attached to it. Like, yep, this is just going to lead to more trouble for you. Yeah, your life is going to be miserable. Yeah, they're going to come after you, you know, because you're going to either have to change your viewpoint on marriage or you're going to lose your job. Okay, so it's, it's lacquered there. It's just there, baked into it. Fear's tactics. So let's just expose what fear's up to. To control and manipulate is what it's doing. The fearful are the puppets of the evil one. If you give way to fear, then you're a puppet and the enemy's going to control you. However, the fearless are the servants of the Most High God. So as a result, God is trying to build servants. And to be a servant of the Most High God, you have to walk fearless. You can't be puppeted by the enemy. It's like, You're walking down a path and there's lions on both sides. If you're motivated by fear, you stop. You stop your forward movement towards the destination of God in your life. That's what John Bunyan uses as the illustration. And so fear will cause you to turn or to come up with a different solution. Fearlessness matched with your faith will cause you to walk straight forward even though danger seems to loom in the pathway. But if you trust your God, you know that God will hold you. He will protect you. He will be a refuge and strength for you. He will be a very present help for you in time of trouble. And as a result, you will not fear. So Philippians 4.6. Now I took this same statement and I, I did it in like five different translations just to try and make a point. Be anxious for nothing. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything anything, have no anxiety about anything, in nothing, be anxious. In nothing. That's a a, quite a spectrum of possibility. In nothing, be anxious. That means in this redefinition of marriage act that is being proposed and voted on, there's no reason to be anxious. That's a fact, guys. It doesn't mean that the enemy not going to try and lacquer your response with anxiety. It just means you must be aware of that. Because in that family of fear is something called worry, anxiety, fretting, foreboding. It has a lot of different characteristics. Some seem a little more soft and furry and cuddly than others. They're all dangerous. And they all lead to the same conclusion, and that is the control of fear. All right, let's look at number two, the voice of despair. So let's look at some classic despair lines. Give up, you're sunk. There's no hope. You see, I have received each one of these, I have gotten, well, a lot. And I'm guessing you have too. I've only lived in one human body, so I can't share experience like to know what you've gone through. I can just guess that you have a voice that wants to follow you around and speak and just give these classic lines over and 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 over over again. It doesn't matter how many times you resist them, they come back, right? That's why you must become an expert in recognizing the difference between God's voice and this enemy voice. Because when you know the difference and can discern that, it doesn't matter how much he talks, you just keep arresting him. Now, do you remember like during COVID, it's like the hospitals that got uh, COVID patients got extra tax dollars? That's the way you need to look at it. The, the, the Hopeland security agents that capture the most bad thoughts that are either you know, fearful or uh, and anxious or you know, despairing or discouraging or proud, you get extra bonus bucks, heaven bucks. Okay, I just want you guys to know that. Uh, so you should get excited about this. It's like, yeah, bring them on. I, I get bonus bucks. I get, it's called grace. The more the enemy tries to come against you like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. So, I don't know if you've ever had this, but I tell you what, you know, just, I, I think I've shared this in some sermons over the years. Here's the classic line the enemy's given me. So, uh, Eric, you've been talking a lot about, you know, seeing the church get its game on and getting strong again and, like, coming back full force, maybe, like, a revival, things like that. How's that going? How's that going? Yeah. You know, because I, I, I'm not noticing much change. In fact, I would say, just, I'm just saying, just saying, that since you've been in ministry, the church has gotten worse. So how's that ministry thing going for you, Eric? Yeah, you feeling good? Feeling like you're, you know, really accomplishing a lot? See, he's playing on something that is a potential vulnerability inside of me. And that is that this is fruitless. Nothing's happening. I feel like I'm banging my head against a concrete wall. hmm That's a human response. What is a heavenly response? My God is in control. And every step of obedience matters. And even though I can't see the impact on the world yet, I know that not one step of obedience is wasted in his economy. So watch what my God will do. See, there's a difference between the two. The old beating your head against the concrete wall mentality leads to you being very susceptible to the enemy whispering, just, you might want to give up. You're sunk. There's no hope. Fix the focus of your soul on your king. There is always hope. So despair is tactic to get you to give up. To get you to let go, to get you to retire, to sell off, to stop fighting. You see that's the enemy's game. He sees the intrinsic danger in a Christian who will not relent. And so he wants to work on you to get you to give up. Psalm 71. I read this last week. You are my hope, O Lord God. Now David is being just belittled, he's being persecuted, he's being surrounded, he's being hounded. You are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust from my youth. By you I have been upheld from birth. You are he who took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall be continually of you. I don't care what they're saying around me. I am not giving up that hope. Number three, the voice of diminishment. Before Ellerslie started, the four years before Ellerslie started, I had a voice that constantly spoke. It wasn't God. It was the enemy, and he was giving me a lot of attention. And the way I've described it since is the voice of diminishment. You're nothing. Nothing you do is going to matter. No one wants to hear anything you have to say. Just face it. You're expired. You're way over the hill. You have no more to contribute. Okay, that was like 17 years ago. You can just imagine how far over the hill I am now. And if I was expired back then, I am way past my prime now. This, I don't know what your age is out there, right? But don't be surprised if the enemy says you're expired and that you're over the hill. I was over the hill a long time ago, according to the devil. And I should have given up a long time ago, and no one was going to listen to anything I said or any burden that I had classic enemy. You have to notate it and you have to resist it, stick it in the resist room and deal with it. That cannot be toted into your inner life. So diminishment's classic lines. You're nothing. You're expired. No one wants to hear it. Diminishment's tactic to silence you, to make you mushy, to make you shy, to strip you of your moxie courage and pluck. Joshua 1.9. This just seems to fit. Have I not commanded you? Could you imagine you're feeling like the voice of diminishment and, and then God says, hey, hey, have I not commanded you? Be strong, Eric, and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Huh. Well, that changes perspective, doesn't it? If my God is with me wherever I go and he's saying be strong and courageous, I'm guessing he has a plan and a purpose for my life and he wants to use me. I'm going with that. The voice of diminishment cannot fly in and through your life. And finally, number four, the voice of pride. Pride's classic lines. You are so right. Boy, that's a dangerous one. You must be vindicated. You ever had it where... You feel like someone's saying something they shouldn't about you. You know, they're misconstruing the details. And you must be vindicated. You must be seen as correct. You cannot be undermined. And then there's a lot of different angles I could have taken with pride. Here's a different angle. But how does this benefit you? Or how does this benefit me? See, this is the classic line or classic lines that will try and invade our life, but very subtly. You see, the enemy wants to distort Christianity to be about us, how we feel, what we want, what our desires are. But what if I want to have this in my life? Why do I need to keep it out? You see, this is toxic for the soul. Pride is the antithesis of the nature of God, who is love. It has no characteristic that is even remotely similar, which is why Jesus came and died on that cross, so he could set us free from that bondage of selfishness. And so, as a result, when it comes to that screening, we need to catch it, and we cannot allow it through. Uh, uh, uh. Uh, no, you see, it's only humility that passes through here. I resist the proud, just like my God does. You see, your job is to resist the proud and be in agreement with your God. Pride's tactic, to get you focused on you and lose sight of the real battle. When we make life about us, our priorities, our comforts, what happens? We lose track of what this life is about. Any job, I mean, you could be in a ministry and still think about yourself. It's a weird thing. I mean, how how do you do that? Because we are prone to it. We are prone to think of ourselves and we're not necessarily prone to think of God first and others first, which is why we must be very actively engaged in this battle to recognize, no, I know what is true. My life is about Jesus. He owns me. He operates me. And his agenda is my agenda. What's his agenda? Others which means it's Christ and others. It is not me, and me, and me. Uh, that's, I just described modern Christianity. The first three qu- uh, priorities in our entire life and our entire day is me, me, and then me. And then maybe God, and then maybe others, you know, maybe around number 10, after we have a few more me, me, me. And so as a result, there needs to be a renovation of our life, and this security system becomes very, very important we need to have alarms going off and we need to be quick to repent when that self maneuvers through and tries to care for us over the agenda of God in our life. Luke 9.23 Then Jesus said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, I think that's us, guys. Aren't we the ones that are desiring to come after him? If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross daily and follow me. So this isn't taking up your cross once. This is taking up your cross every day. And recognizing that means to die. That means to give up my way. It's no longer about me. And anything that steers me in a different direction than this actually should set off alarms in my life. And that's how we maintain hope. The enemy wants to distract us. He wants to put our gaze elsewhere on peripheral issues. There's a lot of drama going on in this world. However, God wants to fix us on the solution. He wants to give us hope. It's called good news. Isn't that funny? We li- here we are in a world full of bad news, and God says, yeah, but I have some good news for you. He're like, yeah, but God, look at the bad news. Yeah, but I have some good news for you. Yeah, but I heard that when I was eight. I already prayed that prayer. This isn't something you hear when you're eight and you pray a prayer. This is something you meditate on all day long, every day. It's the good news. His name is Jesus, by the way. And when we fix our gaze on Jesus, on what Jesus did for us, we are meditating on that which is good news. And what it does is it gives a consolation to our soul. It it opens up an avenue of grace to enter into us which uplifts us which is why we are the happiest people on earth in the darkest hours of earth. We have everything we need for life and godliness. Let's take it. But we need to beef up our security agents. We need to call them out of the coffee room. We need to get them athletically fit. We need to train them in discernment so that we can hold that line. And if you need to freshly, you know, unlock the door to your resist room, you know, and dust it a little and get it ready for action, maybe even set up some chairs, maybe even get some like rope or some uh, handcuffs, you know, just like prepare it a little because you're going to have some business very soon that you need to arrest and incarcerate. This, these voices do not belong in your life. And so if they are familiar in your life, what should you do? You should go to that one uh, conviction room, you know, and set set this idea in your conviction room, and say, "Okay, Lord, what am I supposed to do about that? I, I, I'm going to repent of that, and I'm going to take this seriously, and I'm going to ask for your grace to actually respond to this in the way that you have designed me, Lord. Train me, train me to be alert, to be watchful, to be ready." Ensuring that only truth flies. Isn't that a a weird thought? I I think many of us struggle with the thought that whenever you say something like only, like my mind is only fixed on truth, it does not mean that you don't know about the other things in life. Like I I know about the fact that Charles Schumer is fast-tracking a redefinition of marriage bill. Okay, I could know that. That's a fact. But that's not my hope. That's not my faith. That's not where my emotions are defined. It's not defined by that. That may be true, but it's in my peripheral. It's not in my focus. There's all sorts of things I could know about this world, but if I focus on them, that's when they harm me. When I make that my emotional center, when I make that my basis of reality, when I make that the basis of my confidence or my expectation, yeah, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Boy, if you focus on the world, it is going to hell. I don't know if it's in a handbasket. I think it's going to be burned up. However, if you focus on the things of this earth, you would be correct. They are going down. However, there is something that God is doing to turn things up. Most of us are totally ignorant of what God is doing. There isn't a news source for heavenly material. It's like, what is God doing? We have to dig that up. However, he is active in this world right now. And I would love for him to be active in us, in here. And that's where it starts. It starts by focusing the gaze of our soul on that which is true. Father, I ask that you would do this miracle in us and through us, that you would beef up our security. And that you would awaken us from our stupor and our slumber, which is allowed in the voices of the enemy, which have harmed our life and distracted us from you. Lord, where we have done that, I pray that we would make it right today, now. And Lord Jesus, we would move forward with a fresh hope, a fresh strength, and a fresh grace. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.